listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, hello there. Am I interested in your spotted tea? You weren't expecting that, were you? I was not. (laughs) Well, hey, good morning, everybody. We are going to try something a little bit different. No, we're not going to speak in uh, British accents. Okay, just making sure that's not what we're doing the whole time. (laughs) I didn't tell you about that at all. I was all ready. So each and every week, one of us will stand up and open God's Word. But here we are at the end of Habakkuk. And, man, we just thought we'd do something a little bit different that, man, we would both just kind of spend some time kind of walking through and talking through Habakkuk chapter 3 this week. Let me try it. So let's get into it. And Mark, I've been looking forward to this week ever since you kind of left us with a teaser last week saying, hey, this week, chapter 3, we're going to see a big change in Habakkuk. So we'll get there. But before we do, let's review a little bit. Remember back to chapter 1. If I remember right, Habakkuk started this whole thing with a complaint to God, didn't he? What, What was that all about? So, yeah, if you remember, uh, Habakkuk, he's in Judah, the southern kingdom there, and he looks around and he sees wickedness. He sees uh, people not loving God's law. Uh, He sees uh, the justice system not being able to be trusted. And so he looks around at all that's going on around him, and he kind of asks God, God, why don't you do something about all this? Why do you just keep letting all this happen? Yeah, and then... God says, oh, I'm going to do something. What is he going to do? Which it was nothing that Habakkuk could have expected. He, uh, God says, I am, and I'm going to be bringing the Chaldeans. And this just absolutely floors Habakkuk because he can't believe that God would use this people called the Chaldeans of Babylon that were so wicked, much more wicked than Judah, how he would use them to kind of discipline or bring judgment to Judah. Yeah, and Habakkuk doesn't quite like what he hears, right? No, and not so again. if I remember right, that closes with Habakkuk. He's kind of on his hot horse. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm waiting for your response, God. And guess what? When you're done, I've got more complaints locked and loaded. There's more where that came from. And so how, do, how does God respond to that when, when Habakkuk doesn't like God's first response? What, what does God say then? Yeah, so Habakkuk stands on his watch post, I'm ready for your answer, God. And then it says, and when you, I've already got uh, other complaints I want to bring. Well, then from chapter or verse 2 through 20, it's five woes uh, to the Chaldeans. And what God does, he shows Habakkuk, hey, I know exactly who the Chaldeans are. I know how wicked, I know how evil they are. But then he follows it up with, but this is what I'm going to do. I know who they are. But woe to them, or judgment is coming, sorrow awaits. And he broke down all the different woes to them. So God says, I know who they are, but they will not get away with it. They will be punished. And that's how chapter 2 ends. Yeah, so something about God's second response makes Habakkuk change his his approach. And we'll Mm -hmm. see that, but first you asked all of us to kind of read ahead and send in maybe how we would characterize Habakkuk's change from two to three. So from blank to blank. So what did people send in? What did they say? So one person wrote uh, self-righteous impatience to fully trusting God. 
someone said uh, from worry uh, to worship. Uh, someone else said from kind of interrogation, uh, questioning God to intercession or prayer. Yeah. Um, so we had some great ones about people yeah. that looked and read through this. What about, what about you? How would you characterize uh, it? I said from fear to faith. Yeah. That's how I would say it. Yeah, I think that's going to encompass it well. I, I see a kind of a common denominator in all of those, and it seems to be just this new humility in Habakkuk, mm-hmm. you know, where he was coming with complaints, yeah, riding on his high horse, full of gusto, maybe, and, and it's almost like he's realized, wait a minute, God doesn't care more about his people than I do. Mm-hmm. I'm not breaking news to God. I, he's not unaware of these things. He knows even deeper than I do, right? And so in that way, it almost reminds me of Job. You go through the whole book, oh, yeah. and he's wrestling and talking and asking, and finally God answers, and Job says, oh, man, hmm. I had no idea what I was talking about. I had words without knowledge. You know, and you, you almost sense that new humility in yeah. Habakkuk as we get into uh, chapter 3. I think so. Here. So how about we go ahead and dive in. Uh, let's start verse 1 and 2. And I'll read just the first two verses here in Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk writes this, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganoth, I think. Shiganoth? Shiganoth. We'll, we'll stick with Shiganoth. Uh, o Lord, I have, heard of you, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years revive it. In the midst of the years make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So we see Habakkuk's response Mm -hmm. here, it's not another complaint like he promised was coming. Yeah, in fact, at the end of verse 2 of chapter, or 1 of chapter 2, he says, yeah, I'm waiting for your answer, and what will you answer concerning my complaint? He's got more ready, but we never hear Habakkuk bring another concern, complaint. Well, we get here instead, it's actually a prayer. Mm -hmm. Some would say it's a a psalm. And so what does Habakkuk say here as he starts off this prayer to God? And so I think it's right in verse 2. Um, notice when God answers him, I believe he's directly referencing to chapter 2, all the woes. I've heard the report of you and of your work, O Lord. And it causes in him, it says, do I fear? And that word means to uh, this kind of awe. When yeah. he really is kind of thinking about what God has done, maybe not just here, even in the past, and he thinks about the work of the Lord, it brings him to a place that he's just now in awe. He's no longer complaining. He's no longer interrogating. He's in awe. Yeah, yeah. And so he asked God to uh, revive it, his work, and reveal it. What, what do you think that means, that revive and that reveal? Yeah, so here, in the midst of the years, revive it. I think he is saying it means what you have done Do that again. Bring, revive it. Bring new life to it. And uh, he says, in the midst of our years, in my time, in our time that we're living, Lord, would you take what you have done, you've already done, and revive it. Do that again. And then to make it known, to to show other people what is happening. And then he ends with an interesting phrase, in wrath, remember mercy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, man, what a powerful line, what a true-to-life line, and kind of different than how I see God sometimes. You know, sometimes I want God to be either or, either 
yeah. the God of wrath. Usually when I'm thinking about other people, yeah. know, all those heathen, all those sinners out there, all those evildoers, all those people. Yeah, take care of them. Stuff, Punish you, them. Yeah, especially if they're doing bad stuff to me. Mm-hmm. Bring your wrath. Or I think of him as a God of mercy. So if God loves, really loves me, if he's really a good God, then he's going to make good things happen to me. Yeah. And he's going to take good care of me. And he's going to bless me. But uh, Habakkuk understands here. No, let's remember chapter one. There's real evil mm-hmm. going on here. There's real sin and God is just, and he's going to bring his wrath against sin, and he's a God of mercy. He's, the picture we get of God is he's both, mm-hmm. to the full extent, held in perfect, perfect harmony. And so I almost sense this shift in Habakkuk, it really seems like he's matured. It's this sense of spiritual maturity for seeing God for all that he is, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, which makes me curious. The next thing I wonder is, what... What has brought this maturity? What has brought this change? And what understand, kind of these mm-hmm. next verses through verse 12, we really start to see the catalyst for change. What, mm-hmm. what maybe uh, Habakkuk has looked to to help him reach this spiritual maturity. So let's do that. Let's read uh, the next few verses. Let's read verse 3 through 7, and I'll read for us. He said, God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens. And the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. And there he was veiled. Or there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague. Followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. And so from what I understand in these verses, Habakkuk is remembering the past. Mm-hmm. Mark, what, what exactly is Habakkuk remembering here? Yeah, I think it ties into the revival. Thinking back, okay, this is what God has done. And then what he's laying out for us is really the exodus. Uh, we've got references um, to Moses being, uh, on, when he was on the mountain and God veiled himself. We have that. Uh, we've got the pestilence and the plagues, which takes them back to Egypt. Uh, when you get to Taman and Paran, those are references to Mount Sinai, where God gave the law that Moses then brings to the people. So I think he's remembering back to, of course, he wasn't there, but remembering back from his parents and grandparents and great-grandparents of retelling the story or having parts of the scripture read where he's remembering how God worked when the children of Israel were in uh, Egypt for their disobedience, but then how God delivered them from that. In fact, Cushion and, and Midian, those were on either side of the Red Sea when that parted. Yeah. Um, so I think it's recounting, remembering how God moved uh, in bringing about the children of Israel out of Egypt. Yeah, so it's almost like he's saying, okay, I know what God did in the past, mm-hmm. and he's the same God. If that That's teaching me something. That's telling me something. And to me, this new perspective it gives them, man, it really, really comes to light in the next few verses. So let's read verse 8 through 15. He says this, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice, it lifted its hands high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. 
at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Now here's what's fascinating to me. For two chapters, mm-hmm. Habakkuk has been talking about judgment. That's all we've heard. That's what yeah. his first request was. But now he sees these same events. He sees them as more than just judgment. Uh, how, how does he maybe understand these events in a new way? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I think you're absolutely right. When you look at the language, like from verse 7 through 12, I mean, he uses all this judgment, wrath language. He says, your wrath against the rivers, your anger against the rivers, your indignation to the sea. In verse 12, you've marched through the earth in fury. You thrash the nations with anger. In fact, back in verse 2, when he talks about this wrath that we had mentioned, remember mercy. Because it seems like for the first time now, he sees this very differently. Because in the beginning of verse 13, all this wrath language, and all of a sudden he says, you went out for the salvation of your people. And I think what he's beginning to realize is that uh, in order, God is going to come and to crush wickedness, and he's going to crush sin, but it's to bring about salvation and those seem to now kind of click for him that wait you you can't have salvation without the punishment of the sin and wickedness and so he sees all this happening but now he sees the effects of all the wrath all the judgment is for the salvation of the people yeah just like in exodus Mm -hmm. you know there was he says plagues and pestilence yet uh, that's not all there was. That was that same event with God working to save his people. And so and it's really instructive to me, Mark, you know, when, when Habakkuk can't understand his present circumstances, which I've been there plenty of times, yeah. he remembers what God's done in the past. And that tells him about God's character and what God is doing now. Um, you know, if God saved his people back then, then he, you know, Habakkuk is saying, then I can trust him. That, that that's what he's doing that exact thing right now. Mm-hmm. But what's even more fascinating is there's also a sense that God that God is talking about his future work. And maybe, maybe even in a way that Habakkuk couldn't fully understand in the at the time. So I'm looking at verse 13, and verse 13, Habakkuk talks about God's anointed. Who's who's he talking about there, Mark? Yeah, I think it, you know, we talked last week about judgments. There's usually a, a near fulfillment, and then there's this future fulfillment that we're waiting on. Yeah. Well, here I think what is happening, when you look at the word anointed, it's never used of Israel in the Old Testament. So I think it's a reference to the coming Messiah. Now, I don't know how much of Habakkuk really understands of all that's happening, but he's beginning to see God differently. He looks at what God has done, but he's now seeing that through wrath, Come salvation, or salvation cannot happen without the punishment of sin for the salvation of your anointed. And it's all going to happen through the Messiah. And I don't know if he would say it this way exactly how much he understood, but what, what I believe 
God is trying to communicate is that God is going to bring about judgment or discipline on Judah through the Chaldeans. They will be punished, but God is going to preserve them. He's going to uh, remain faithful to them because through Israel comes the Messiah. Um, so I think it's a reference to the future uh, in their time, the coming of Jesus. Yeah, so even in the judgment that's coming in Habakkuk's present situation, mm -hmm. God is still working in that to bring salvation. Salvation to you and me. And Habakkuk probably couldn't have even comprehended that. Yeah. You know, and, and to me that's, again, it's instructive and it's helpful. You know, so, I think so many times it's easy to think about our salvation and our faith in Jesus Christ um, to think of it as salvation, but not in terms of judgment. Mm -hmm. But even in that, that's the way God worked. I mean, our salvation did not come without a cross. Yeah. There was judgment on sin. Just the difference was that judgment wasn't directed at us. That judgment was directed at, was directed at Jesus. Mm -hmm. And because he took the judgment, I get the salvation. And, uh, you know, you said this uh, earlier. It, it just shows you that God is working for salvation in every generation. Yeah. But that doesn't come without judgment to sin. And, mm -hmm. man, how much does it say that Jesus took that judgment uh, for our salvation? Yeah. But uh, Habakkuk, he can't see that full picture yet, right? right. Um, so all he can do now is trust God's character. Mm -hmm. And these next few verses, Mark, I think, are some of the most powerful. Uh, it's one of the most powerful statements of faith in all of Scripture. So let's get to those. I'll read for us. Uh, verse, starting verse 16, we'll read through the end of the book, through verse 19. Habakkuk says this, he says, I hear and my body tremble, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the oil of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And with that, he ends his book. Now, Mark, this isn't a, a sunshine and roses response, right? He's not saying, oh, well, everything's going to be perfect and easy now and no. fine. Help us understand what Habakkuk is saying here. Well, I've never studied through this book, really. I've read it, but until we were doing this series. And, man, what I've come to realize is just how honest he is with how he feels, what is going on. And, I mean, how he describes himself in verse 16. When he hears what God is going to do, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans and he doesn't know how long it's going to be that before God removes them. He doesn't know. But when he hears of God's plan, he says, I mean, his body trembles. His lips quiver. I mean, he talks about rottenness enters his bones, like his bones are decaying, that his legs won't even hold him up anymore. And he's just really honest about, this is how this makes me feel. This is what's going on when I hear what God is about to do. Yeah, and yet he expresses great faith, and yeah. which leads me to ask, what is his faith in? Because it's not in any of his present circumstances. I mean, he's saying, we're going to starve. There's going to be no food. I mean, it would be like us, you know, forget not finding toilet paper in the grocery store. Yeah. It'd be like us saying, hey, for the next five years, every time you go to the store, there's going to be no food. Yeah. 
right? But somehow he rejoices in the midst of that. And so uh, even though it's not going to be easy, uh, what's he putting his faith in here? Yeah, How can he have faith in that? In verse 17, I mean, agriculture was life. And there, fruit, uh, trees are not going to bear fruit. Vines are not going to produce. Olives are going to fail. There's going to be no livestock. I mean, he's describing the ruin and famine. I mean, people are going to be starving to death. Uh, people are going to be murdered. Uh, people are going to have their homes taken. I mean, there's going to be all kinds of things that the Babylonians are going to do and it is in verse 18 where he says, yet. I mean, he's real honest. I mean, he's describing what's going to happen. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. For one thing I see is, he said, it's not just going to endure this. No. He says, I, through it all, I will rejoice and I will be joyful. So what is it? It causes this, and I think it's how he ends verse 18. Because notice he doesn't say, I'm going to rejoice in that my family survived another day. I'm, not, I'm going to have joy in that I've got one cow left that's going to sustain us. I'm, I'm going to have joy because, uh, you know, I found some few berries today. Or I'm going to uh, have rejoiced because, you know, my daughter was spared from what they, somebody, the Chaldeans did to my neighbor's daughter. Yeah. What his rejoicing is in and what his joy is in is in the God of my salvation. It's not based on what is going on around him. It's really whose he is or who is with him. Yeah. And I think that's how he's, I think that's the change. I think that's how this happens is that faith doesn't come from what's happening around him. He just describes something horrible. It comes from who is with him. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to say it. I mean, and I almost want to tell Habakkuk, thank you yeah. for writing it this way. Because sometimes, man, it feels like I have to choose. So either um, I can acknowledge the severity of my suffering or I can rejoice in the Lord. But if I'm rejoicing in the Lord, then I can't acknowledge the severity of my suffering. Yeah. Or, you know, if, if the Lord is really going to be my strength, then that means things won't be hard. I, things can't be hard and the Lord be my strength, you know. Maybe in those times I don't have enough faith, if that's the case. But Habakkuk, he has supreme faith, even, like you said, not muddling through, rejoicing in the Lord together with, in the midst of, mm-hmm. some very real scary suffering and I think, like you said, because it's a faith beyond his present circumstances. So is that real? Can I rejoice in the Lord without pretending like bad things aren't happening to me right now? I mean, that, I, mean it's, I think that's really the question we all really wrestle with. Is this God is love and God is merciful and God is gracious. And then, you know, bad things still happen. And as people that we want to be people of faith and but what we see Habakkuk doing is something that I have realized I tend to do just the opposite. And so I was reading and I came across a story of a, a pastor named uh, Frank Borum. And he, he tells a story about a lady in his church named uh, Jenny McNabb. And she was this very uh, well-to-do lady. She had a beautiful home. Uh, she lived a very comfortable life. Very optimistic. Loved being around. And so he came yeah. to her one day and he said, hey, Jenny, uh, I want to ask you a question. And 
He said, well, just suppose, and she stops him, and she said, hold on, preacher, hold on, pastor. Before you go any further, I know what you're going to say. Suppose I lose my money, or suppose I lose my health. Suppose I lose my house. Suppose, suppose, suppose. She said, I want to stop you right there because I've, I've learned something. When supposings come, I, you slam the door. You don't let them in. And, you know, it got me to thinking that that's really how I tend to do things. Oh, yeah. I mean, when... It's a very convenient way to deal with bad Yeah, things. when yeah. difficult things come, yeah. I, I want to block all of that out. Uh, I don't want to deal with it. Uh, even with all of this, I mean, man, there was probably about 10, to, 10 days to two weeks that I just almost hid from the world it felt like because I couldn't explain things. I didn't like where it was going. I'm just going to I'm going to hide. We want to do that. We want to block out all the bad things that might happen. But Habakkuk is very different. It's almost like he says, suppose things happen. Suppose this. Suppose there's no food. Suppose the vines don't produce. Suppose the flock dies. And he says, come on in. Now, he's not welcoming them, but it's like he invites all of this in that he is almost okay with it in the sense that his faith is not going to be based on what he has or what he doesn't have. He says, come on in, because I think what he's realizing that we just talked about is that he doesn't have to fear all of these supposings because he realizes that there is one greater than all the supposings that might happen. Yeah, and that greater one is right there yeah. with him. Yeah, and so I think it's just like you said, your faith doesn't come from what's happening to you. It comes from who is with you. Yeah. And it seems like that's what Habakkuk, he, he may have gotten answers he doesn't understand, but he understands who is with him. That God of Sinai, that God of Exodus, that God that's with him mm-hmm. now. And, you know, I think that's why it's so important. We've talked about this this week. But it's so important that we know the Scriptures because they're going to tell us for the times that we can't understand our present they're going to tell us about how God has worked in the past, and that's the same God. His character mm-hmm. hasn't changed, and what he's doing hasn't changed. And the same even with how God's worked in our lives. You know, I think it's so important to remember how God's worked in your own life because there's going to be times you don't understand your present, yeah. and you're going to have to look to the past to remember who is with you right now. And that's where that faith comes from. Uh, and it strikes me, you, you probably have some of those, you know, those things that when you don't understand what's going on, circumstances are hard that you can look back to, and it reminds you who God is. What's maybe an example? Maybe an example from uh, Scripture, maybe an example from your personal life, that when you're in those moments, you you just keep going back to, to remind you who is with you. Yeah, and there there are several. Uh, For one, I go back to often uh, John chapter 21, which is the restoration of Peter. So Peter was the most... You know, dynamic, the most courageous. He's the one that's going to stay with Jesus till the end. and The most determined. The most determined. You know, pulls out the sword, is going to defend his friend. Well, then, you know the story that three times he denies Jesus, even though he told Jesus, no, no, I won't be me. So you find him back on the shore of Galilee. It's uh, almost early light, breakfast time, and... Jesus shows back up. And it's where he really restores Peter back to uh, what he's called him to. You know, he denies three times, and three times he asks him, do you love me? And when Peter, it's revealed to him who he is, 
It's just that moment that I'm reminded constantly that Jesus is bigger, more faithful, more loving, more forgiving than my biggest mistake. And so I look over my life, and I've made a bunch of them. Um, I've made a bunch of them as a pastor. I've made a bunch of them as a husband, as a dad. I, I fight constantly. And as I'm getting older, it's getting worse. I'm fighting lots of anxiety mm-hmm. where I don't feel like I'm doing a good enough job or I can't control things. But it's such a great reminder to me that Jesus is bigger than my biggest failure. In fact, yeah. I, my biggest failure may still be ahead of me. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I go too often when I'm kind of getting down into the dumps or, or I've made another blunder is to remind myself that, no, Jesus is bigger than my biggest yeah, he's not waiting for me to figure it all out. No. He's got it figured out. What about you? You got one? Yeah, you know, there's one. It's not a particular story, uh, but more of a character that I, I always go back to, and it's Abraham. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, uh, man, it, it's impactful to me uh, because it's, it's a guy's whole life. You know, it's not just God doing one thing, you know, waving a wand, zapping something. Um, it's it's a whole life. God from even from God calling him. I mean, who is Abraham? He's a homeless, uh, godless wanderer. He's just wandering around. He doesn't even have a home, you know. And God calls him, and then he doesn't say, "Okay, I've called you. Go, you know, go measure up." Mm-hmm. I mean, he teaches him every step along the way. He never gives up on Abraham with any failures. Provides everything he needs. I mean, that's the story of sacrificing Isaac. You know, yeah. Abraham, I don't need you to sacrifice your son. I'm going to provide the sacrifice. I'm going to provide everything. And then but the part of it I think really gives me perspective. When I'm just like zoned in on my little life and what I'm going through uh, is what Hebrews says, that Abraham and all these other people in the Scriptures, they died in faith. Mm-hmm. They died having never seen really all that God was doing through them. Yep. You know, it would blow Abraham's mind that me and you yeah. are part of God's people, you know, and, you know, Tyler, Texas, he didn't know, he didn't even know Texas was a thing, yeah. right? I mean, God was doing so much more than Abraham even got to see in his lifetime. Yeah. And that just gives me some of that perspective, probably some of that humility that we mm-hmm. need to regain sometimes of, oh, okay, whatever God is doing, it's way bigger than what I can see. And I'll tell you about one recent story from my life that God really just reminded me of this. Uh, it has to do with dreams. So <laughs> it's really fascinating. If you study dreams, like why, just go Google, why do we dream? And it's actually really helpful uh, for our brains. And so it, it's mainly a way that our brain processes some of the stuff that we have a hard time processing while we're awake. And so maybe it's a complicated hmm. problems. True story. I had a math teacher. Uh, one day, I remember, we couldn't solve the math problem. And he came back to class the next day. He said, I I dreamed about the problem. I solved it in my dreams. And so it's a way we work through complicated problems. It's a way we work through complicated emotions. Hmm. And so that's why when you're worried about something, you'll go to bed and have that dream where you show up to school naked or without your homework or whatever, you know. And it's helping us process all of those things, right? Hmm. Now, I have no idea how to explain that to my four-year-old daughter. When one night she looks at me and she asks, Dad, why does God let me have bad dreams? Yeah. You know? Uh, I don't know how to explain to her. I have neurons and processing, and, oh, and there's the fall, and we live in a fallen world. And I, was, I don't know how to explain that to her. It's beyond her comprehension. Mm-hmm. All I can do is tell her, you know what? You can ask God for help. You can, look, you can talk to him. 
You go to him for help, and you can trust him, you know. And I certainly don't know how to explain to her, hey, the rest of your life, there's going to be other things that are scary, that you don't understand, mm-hmm. and they're not going to be dreams. They're going to be real. Uh, but, and in, in, in those times, you're not going to understand it either. But you can go to him for help, you can pray to him, and you can trust him, which is really just another way of saying what you've said. It's mm-hmm. about who's there with you, you know. And after having that conversation tonight, man, God just hit me with, you're like that four-year-old little girl. You know? Yeah. There's so much you don't understand uh, yeah. that even if I tried to explain it, you wouldn't be able to comprehend it. But mm-hmm. you can trust the one who's with you. Amen. God hit me upside. You know, they say you learn a lot through your kids, and that was probably the basic, biggest example in a yeah. long time. Well, man, that was great. And I think it is so important to look back. I think that's what Habakkuk does. He goes back and he looks at how God had acted, how he had moved, and he remembers that. And that's what kind of looking back to the past to help me in my, in, in my present, to give me a hope for the future. Um, and so this is what we'd like to do. Um, we'd love to hear yours. Uh, maybe you've got a, a, a favorite kind of passage in Scripture where uh, God is doing something, you read about it, and we'd love to hear that. Uh, maybe you've got, like we kind of shared, just some personal examples. And so this week, would you let us know that? You can email that to either one of us, uh, mark at Bethelbible.com, clint at Bethelbible.com, and we would just know what's an example from Scripture that God has used in your life, and maybe how that's related to a real personal example. Um, and so today... That's really it for, for Habakkuk. And next week, we're going to pick up in Esther. But I want to kind of leave us with this. For Habakkuk said, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That no matter what is happening around us, no matter what was happening for him, that faith doesn't come from what's happening around us. Faith comes from the one who is with us. And I pray that we could become more like Habakkuk. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.